Luke chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. The scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him that very hour, and they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so that they could deliver him to the rule and the authority of the governor. They questioned him, saying, teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly and that you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he detected their trickery and said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God, the things that are God's. And they were unable to catch him in a saying in the presence of the people and being amazed at his answer, they became silent. Now, Jesus has entered into Jerusalem. We're focusing on the last week of Jesus's earthly ministry and Christ has had his triumphal entry. The children are singing Jesus's hosannas with palm branches. The garments have been laid before Jesus as he rode into town on a donkey. According to the prophets of old, we see him uh, cleansing the 30 acre temple, the court of the Gentiles, that instead of being filled with uh, foreigners worshiping the true and living God, had been filled with animals showing their poverty of spirit. They didn't have a heart for the Great Commission. Uh, They weren't concerned about the salvation of of Gentiles. Instead, they were concerned about money. They had money tables in the court of the Gentiles. They were concerned about selling animals uh, more than saving souls. And and if that is our case, God help us. Uh, If that is us here today, if we're more concerned about uh, money tables and about uh, selling and buying rather than souls, then God help the church. Uh, We need to repent. The first thing we need to do is cleanse the temple. And and we're the temple today. We're the fulfillment of the old covenant temple. The, The old temple has been destroyed once and forever. And Jesus has raised it up on the third day, according to the scriptures, as he said he would tear this temple down. And in three days, I'll raise it. And now he's making a new temple with living stones and he's given the Holy Spirit out and he expects to see uh, worshipers worshiping in spirit and truth. And if we don't care about other people and if we don't care about the lost, then it says more about us than it does about anything else. And we need to ask God to forgive us of the coldness and deadness of our own spiritual life. And we need to ask Jesus Christ to renew his work within us and to fill us the temple, the living stones with his spirit, and with his power uh, that that we would not have happened in our day. What happened in Ezekiel's where the glory of the Lord departed from the temple, the glory departed from the temple and from Jerusalem because of God's judgment upon it. And, And that may be the day in which we're living which God has been pleased to withdraw the spirit from the professing church. And, and that, that that is maybe the reason why we see so few conversions today. Uh, why, why we see uh, so little progress being made in, in the church. Um, I can't convert anybody. You can't convert anybody. 
Only the spirit of God can can bring a dead person to life. And and we have to ask um, ourselves, is that happening? And and if not, why not? Do we do we need to cleanse the temple and and maybe drive out the, the little money changers in our heart and and drive out the animals that are filling that place? That ought to be having uh, worshipers, people who come from afar to worship the true and the living God. So Jesus does this. Of course, that's going to create controversy. <coughs> you don't just come into town and upset uh, the, the, the temple like that and send the animals out into Jerusalem without drawing attention to yourself. And Jesus is kind of, in a sense, picking a fight. It's a, and it's a fight worth fighting. Uh, Jesus is, is intentionally here. Provoking the religious establishment because of their corruption, uh, because of their evil ways, because of their hardness of heart. Uh, Jesus is bringing on this confrontation. It's coming to a head. And so they challenged Jesus. We saw uh, they said, you know, by what authority do you do this? Uh, and Jesus said, well, I'll answer your question by asking you one. Whose authority did John the Baptist preach? Was it from heaven or men? And they wouldn't answer him. If they said from heaven, well, Jesus is just going to say, well, why don't you believe what John the Baptist said about me? And if they deny it, well, then the, the people are going to get mad at them. And so Jesus, they said, well, to Jesus, we're not going to tell you. And Jesus said, well, I'm not telling you then by what authority I, I do these things. And then Jesus goes on to tell the parable of the vineyard. And it's a parable where God plants a vineyard and and he uh, goes away and he entrusts the vineyard to his servants, but his servants prove unfaithful. And when the uh, when the vine dressers uh, are approached by servants of the master, they beat them. And that, of course, is a picture of what Israel did to the prophets as God sent the prophets, prophet after prophet after prophet. And they didn't listen and they mistreated the prophets and they abused them and persecuted them and sometimes even killed them. And and so God here says, well, I'll send my son. And this, of course, is, is Jesus. Jesus is the only begotten son of God. And instead of respecting the son, they say, hey, this is the heir. If we kill him, we can take over the vineyard ourselves. And this uh, they realize that Jesus was speaking this against them. Look at verse 19 in our text this morning. The scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him at that very hour. And they feared the people, for they understood that he, Jesus, spoke this parable against them. (coughs) So Jesus is saying, you Sanhedrin, you religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the chief priests, you guys are the the ones in this parable who are the evildoers. And you are the ones who are trying to kill the son. So what do they do? Well, they they try here, uh, boys and girls, to trap Jesus. Uh, This is what they try to do. Um, They try to get Jesus in trouble with the civil authorities. They try to get Jesus in trouble with the governor of the area. And they think maybe what we can do is if we can trap Jesus and make him seem like he is some kind of threat to the civil magistrate, some kind of rebel, some kind of revolutionary, then the government will get upset and they will be nervous and they will clamp down and they will arrest Jesus and maybe even try him and kill him. And so they come up with this plan to try and trap Jesus in these words over a question about taxation. 
The reason they, they bring this up is because it involves paying taxes to Caesar. Now, Caesar obviously has an interest in this subject. And so they, they're trying to get Jesus. Maybe, maybe we can get Jesus. Maybe Jesus doesn't believe that the people of God uh, should be paying taxes to Caesar. And, and if he denies that, then we, go to, then we go to the governor and we tell him and they will get Jesus. Or if he, he does say so, then we can drive a wedge between Jesus and the Jews. Uh, and, and so either way, this is a win-win issue. And, and so this is their political strategy, how to get rid of Jesus. <coughs> so what do they do? Well, look at verse 20. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous. So notice their hypocrisy here in order that they might catch him in some statement so they could deliver him to the rule and the authority of the governor. You know, it never crosses their mind that they're really engaged in violating the sixth commandment that says you shall not kill. You know, they, they never seem to stop and say, you know, we're trying to, whether it's by our own hand or whether it's by the arm of the judiciary, what they're trying to do here is assassinate Christ uh, judicially with some kind of legal maneuver. So they try here to pretend to be righteous as though they're inquiring uh, a matter, a theological matter of conscience. And they question him, teacher, we know that you speak the truth correctly. There's the flattery. You are not partial to any more flattery, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But notice here, Jesus detected their trickery. Okay, so Jesus is aware of what they're trying to do here. And he then says, "Okay, show me a coin, a denarius. Get me a coin. And boys and girls, you could do this, you know, with money in our country, you could take a coin, maybe it's a penny, maybe it's a nickel or quarter, and you could look at it, and on one side it's going to have the picture of one of our presidents on it. And uh, so you could look at it and you say, okay, well that's Lincoln there, that's Jefferson, and, and his image is on one side of the coin. So that's what Jesus is doing, and he, he takes the denarius and he says, whose image is on this coin? Well, the image, just like today, our images of presidents, uh, they had images that were of the Caesar. And so they say it's Caesar's image. And so Jesus gives this wonderful line, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and the, and the things that are God to God's. So what I want to do here is I want to divide this into two thoughts and talk a little bit about rendering to Caesar the things that are Caesar. And then I want to talk about rendering to God the things that are God. And I want to suggest that actually the unspoken part is the more important part. The rendering to God, the things that are God's, was the climactic part of Jesus' statement here. But for the sake of the text, let's look at the rendering to Caesar, the things that are Caesar's. He said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. That's the first part of his statement. And then he said, and to God, the things that are God's. So what does this mean to render to Caesar? Well, it was Caesar's coin. And so Jesus is saying it's no sin to pay taxes here. Now, the people didn't maybe like that because Rome was occupying the nation of Israel and they wanted their land back. They wanted their autonomy back from these Gentiles. They didn't like the fact that they had been invaded and occupied by a foreign country and by a Gentile army. 
But whose coin were they using in business? Well, they were using Caesar's. And so Jesus is saying, well, give to Caesar what belongs to him. It's Caesar's image. It belongs to Caesar. Now, there are many ways that we are to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, according to the Bible. And this takes wisdom, and we need this wisdom as a church. The church has not always understood rightly what it means to render to Caesar that which belongs to him. The relationship between the church and Caesar has been tenuous ever since these days. And we shouldn't be surprised if there are conflicts in the future as well. Now, one thing that Paul tells Timothy that we are rendered to Caesar, first of all, is prayer. And we need to take this, I think, uh, with some seriousness. We do owe, no matter who is in office, whether we voted for the person or not, we owe them our prayers as Christians. You know, there is something to Jeremiah chapter 29 that the church was in exile and God told the people that they were to build houses, plant vineyards, and to seek the welfare of the community in which they were living, even though they were living in exile. And there's a sense that that applies to us today. We are not here in the new heavens and new earth. There is a sense that we are uh, strangers, we are pilgrims, we are living in exile as a church. Uh, We are not in our home yet, uh, though God providentially has placed us in this nation and, and we are citizens of this kingdom and we have obligations to this land as uh, those who providentially are citizens of it. But we need to pray as those who are also exiles. America is not our home. Ultimately, Christ is our home. Ultimately, heaven and the kingdom of heaven is our ultimate home. America is passing away like everything else. But we are to pray for the president, the vice president, the House, the Senate, the judiciary, the governor, uh, the Georgia State Legislature, our local city mayor, our city council members, our our commissioners, our county commissioners. We are to pray for them. They need wisdom. They need guidance. You know, I think it's tempting to think that we could always do the president's job. I think We're not saying it's an easy job, but I think there's something within us all as sinners that think, oh, I could do that, too. I could I could handle that job. I could do that job. It can't be that difficult. But, yet, you know, there's a sense we have no idea what it's really like. You know, there's only 40 some men who have ever really known what it's like to be in that position. And the and the information that comes across their desk every day about things going on. In the world, many of which are ominous and and are threatening uh, to our our civil liberties. Um, Tremendous responsibilities uh, are laid across the the desks of of those who occupy the White House. And we need to pray for them. Uh, Pray that they would seek the Lord. Pray that they'd be filled with the Spirit, filled with wisdom. Even filled with common grace wisdom. Uh, If not salvific grace, we want to pray for salvific grace. We do pray for that. Uh, We pray that all of our civil magistrates would repent and believe Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life and that they would bring forth fruit and they would seek to honor Jesus Christ in the office that they hold, not just as private citizens, but in, in, in the capacity of a civil magistrate, that they would honor Jesus Christ in that office. Uh, we, 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 we owe them our, our prayers. We, we need to 
pray for them. You know, Daniel, the book of Daniel tells us weird things are going on in the world. And by weird, I mean strange spiritual warfare going on. You remember how Daniel was much in prayer. And when the answer to his prayer finally came, uh, he said that your prayers, Daniel, were heard immediately as soon as you began to pray them. But there was this weird satanic opposition in the angelic world to answering that prayer. And so the answer gets delayed. And we need to realize, I think many times we are still children of the Enlightenment without realizing it. And we uh, need to realize that this is a, a weird world that we live in. It's a spiritual world that we live in. There are real battles going on between uh, demonic forces and the, uh, the prince of the power of the air and the children of light. And, uh, and that goes on with people that we see in our headlines, in our news. They're, they're involved in these conflicts. Um, and, and we need to realize that um, Satan does seek to move nations in calamitous ways to bring about death and destruction and evil. And so we ought to be laboring in prayer like Daniel. That was one of the great things about Daniel is, you know, we find him faithful as a teenager at the beginning of the book of Daniel. And we find him at the end of the book of Daniel still giving himself to fasting and prayer. And this is a man who's in his mid 80s. And Daniel is still giving himself to spiritual warfare, still giving himself to prayer, even though he knows that the people are about to be brought home. He's he's read and studied the book of Jeremiah and he knows the people of God are coming back to the land and and it doesn't cause him to cease and say, "Okay, well, good. My job is done. I'll put my feet up. But he prays all the more earnestly because of that. He's saying, Lord, it says right here, the 70 years and the people come home and it's 70 years. It's time. And it causes him to fast and pray. Think about that. That the promise causes him to pray all the more. Rather than praying the less, I think I would be tempted to say, oh, good, it, it's time I can I can enter into my retirement now. Finally, after all these years, we're going home. But Daniel's in the midst of spiritual warfare. He's praying and fighting uh, these dark powers and principalities and, and the weird things that are going on behind the scenes. So we, we need to render to Caesar our prayers. We need to pray for President Trump. We need to. Pray for the Congress, pray for Nancy Pelosi, pray for Speaker Mitchell in the Senate, Governor Kemp, Mayor Thornton, uh, you know, our true county commissioners, Patrick Cruz, the county chairman. These are people that we should be praying for, praying for uh, grace to be given to them, uh, wisdom, uh, help them to be men of integrity, to withstand corruption, withstand bribery. You know, there's a lot of people who want to pay them for things so that they get their way. And we need them to be full of justice and righteousness and equity. And it means uh, sometimes being unpopular and give them courage. Now, another thing that we are told to render to Caesar, uh, of course, are taxes as well. Let me uh, give you the uh, turn your attention to Romans 13. This is the classic text on the Christian's obligation to the civil magistrate, Romans chapter 13. Hope many of you are already familiar with it. If you're not, this is a good chapter to study and pray over. 
Chapter 13, Romans 13, verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. So God has has established the authorities that exist. Notice he says, Paul says, for there is no authority except from God. So whether that authority is Caesar, whether that authority is President Trump, whether that authority is uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, whether that authority is the the premier uh, over in China, uh, that that the Christian in that land is subject to that authority. And those which exist are established by God. Whoever resists authority is opposed to the ordinance of God. Now, this, of course, raises all kinds of interesting questions. <clears throat> what do you do when the when the Caesar is uh, doing things that are unlawful? What do you do when Caesar, when the governments are the persecutor and they are corrupt or when they command us to do things that are ungodly? Um, we need to realize that our. our this command to uh, be in subjection to the governing authorities is not an absolute. OK, there are other commandments in the Bible. Uh, you know, so when Daniel, for example, is commanded and Daniel's friends are commanded to bow down to the golden image. OK, when you hear the sound of the uh, bagpipes and, and, and uh, the horns and everything else and. And the whole nation bows before this great golden statue. Uh, you are to bow down too, or be subject to imprisonment and death. And they refuse. And that was the right thing to do. So being in subjection to the governing authorities is the norm. But it is not an absolute. We may not be in subjection to the governing authorities and sin against God. So if the governing authorities command us to do that which is unlawful, then we may not do it. Okay, so uh, if if the civil magistrate says to me, uh, uh, Pastor, uh, we have written a law that you will acknowledge homosexual marriages and and you will perform them. So if a homosexual couple comes and says we want to be married, uh, and and I have to say, well, I'm sorry, no, I don't. And they say, but that's the law. And I say, well, I don't care. The law of God says that that, that what you are seeking to do is not a marriage. Marriage is between a male and a female only. And uh, I cannot, will not uh, perform such a ceremony. And uh, so I'm sorry. And they say, well, we're going to arrest you and put you in jail. We're going to tax you, fine you. I said, okay. You know, um, but I'm not going to obey you. Okay, I'm going to disobey you because disobeying you is obeying God. So we may never disobey God, boys and girls, by obeying the civil magistrate. You need to understand that. And there's there's. A few cases in the Old Testament where we see that clearly, not only in Daniel, uh, you can see it with the Hebrew midwives. Pharaoh says, kill the, you know, the Hebrew children and uh, the Hebrew midwives say, no, we're not going to do that. OK, um, Esther, uh, Esther is here was a, uh, one where in the former they were commanded to do something and they wouldn't do it. Uh, in Esther's case, she was forbidden and she transgresses. Uh, she was forbidden to go in to the king's court unless she was summoned but she does so. That's why she says, you know, if I die, I die. Uh, because the king did not uh, extend his scepter to her. She comes in uh, into the king's presence without being summoned. And so there's another example of civil disobedience. And she did so. Uh, remember, you know, that great exchange between her and Mordecai, because the uh, law said that they were going to kill the Jews. And. And Mordecai says basically to Esther, you've been raised up for such a time as this. You, you, you know, you have to do this. 
And so Esther does it. And if you don't do it, Esther, God will raise up salvation from another quarter. And, and we're going to see that, I think, in two Sunday nights, you know, uh, ourselves um, here in, in a bit when, when we talk more about um, unjust laws uh, in Sunday evening services. So um, this this subjection is not absolute, but it is the norm. So verse two, therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. And that's the that's the point here of this passage. As Christians, the civil magistrate should be able to count on Christians as ordinarily being the best citizens. Okay, that is, we don't steal, we don't lie, uh, we 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 uphold our, our word, we uphold our business contracts. You can count on us. We're productive. We're not lazy. Um, the civil magistrate should be able to look at the church and look at the Christians and say, well, I, I think they're weird. Um, I don't believe what they believe, but they are good citizens. They are productive people. Uh, they are blessed. They should have a sense that the blessing of God is on us uh, as we go about our work, just as that they had that sense. OK, I don't understand why these Hebrews won't eat the king's portion, why they insist on being vegetarians. Uh, but they seem to be healthy and they're also the smartest guys in my class and uh, they, they're the best students. And so uh, I'm going to continue to let them eat the vegetables. That's what should be going on. OK, is that they, they don't understand. They don't agree necessarily, uh, but they respect you. They respect your family. They respect um, your, your church because they know the kind of people that the church produces, that your, your church produces. Um, that's the kind of witness we want here at Covenant. Uh, we want people to say, OK, I think, you know, the, maybe the folks at Covenant Presbyterian Church are a little extreme, uh, you know, on some issues or whatever. And I'm not calling us to be extremists here, but from their perspective, it may look a little different or wacky or whatever. You know, they think you, you can't you know, do uh, anything but rest and worship God on Sunday. And and, um, you know, they, they have some other views. They go to church on Sunday nights and stuff like that. But, man, they're good employees. Um, they're good students at the college. Um, they're, they're, they do their homework. They, they get their work done. Uh, that's what we're looking for. That's what Paul's looking for here in this chapter. Rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. So if you are going to steal, if you're going to lie, you're going to cheat, you're going to defraud people. Well, then you have good reason to be afraid of the civil magistrate. For it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God. Now, in the Greek, that word minister, which is translated in the English as minister, is diakonos. That's where we get the word deacon. It is a deacon of God. So that the, the civil magistrate is is an institution established by God. He's a deacon. President Trump is a deacon of God. Not in a, a special uh, kingdom of heaven sense like our deacons are, but in a common grace sense. He is a servant of God. He is a minister of God unto us. Whether you voted for him or not, whether you voted for President Obama or not, he was a deacon of God for us in the common sphere, in the common grace realm. And Paul is saying we need to be in subjection to those authorities. I need to keep moving on here. Uh, 
We, we, it means also giving obedience to the civil magistrate in things that are lawful. So you young people, it means respecting the laws, okay? Respecting the driving laws uh, when you get your driver's permit, okay? That you respect the speed limit, that you respect um, the drinking laws, okay? That you're not supposed to be drinking outside of the home, going to parties. If you're underage, if you're under 21 years old, you're not supposed to be going to parties and, and drinking at those parties. That's, that, or you're not supposed to be smoking marijuana or taking cocaine or something else. That's against the law. Right. And, and, and to bring to, to violate that law is is to violate the law of the one that God has put in charge. And, and so you need to respect God. This is where your faith, the rubber meets the road of your faith to uh, acknowledge God in those things. Now, let me get to the last part here. And he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And then he says, render to God the things that are God. Now, this is what is so neat about this passage. I can't even remember when it was and I first heard this and learned it. But once I heard it, I've never forgotten it. And I want to share it with you guys. And that is, what does Jesus do? He takes the denarius and he holds the denarius up, you can imagine, right? So everybody sees the image of Caesar on the coin. He says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. And they can see the image of Caesar. And then he says, render to God the things that are God's. And here's the point. This is what was unspoken. What do we render to God? Well, if you render the image of Caesar to Caesar, the point is you render the image of God to God and you are the image of God. You are to render yourself unto God. That is, it's a call of total consecration to God. It's a call that you who are made in the image of God belong to Christ. You are to render yourself in the Romans 12 sense as a living sacrifice unto God. This is you owe God everything. You've got, you owe God your, who you are, the gifts you have, the graces that you possess. And you are to give yourself entirely and unreservedly to God. Yes, pay taxes to Caesar. Render to Caesar this little coin. But render yourself unto God entirely and unreservedly. Well, how do you do this? Well, first of all, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you you first render yourself unto God by confessing your sins and acknowledging ways in which you have not lived for God and ways in which you have lived for yourself and for sin and for pleasure and for unrighteousness. And and you confess that and you acknowledge that and you turn from it and you say, Lord, I've realized that. I am not my own for the first time, maybe even in my life, or maybe I've heard it all my life. But now I'm beginning to realize that I've never really given myself wholly unto you. And and Lord, I repent of that. I repent of my selfishness. I repent of my pride and my egotism. And I, I repent of my idolatry and the little peevish pet sin that I'm holding on to. And Lord, I I relinquish it all and I give myself to you and I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God who came to save me. And I take him as my Lord and Savior. And we we go to God and we acknowledge that. And you don't have to walk an aisle or sign a card. You can simply do that right where you are as as I'm preaching to you to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the purpose that Jesus said he came into this world to save sinners and that whosoever would believe on Jesus Christ would not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's not a a hard thing to come to Christ. It's not an odious thing. It's not something where Christ is going to weigh you down with some kind of uh, iron 
or lead, um, you know, uh, burden on your shoulders that you've got to carry the rest of your life. Jesus' yoke is easy, his burden is light. Um, and he says, come unto me, ye who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come and, and, and buy without money, without cost. Come and buy the milk and the wine and the honey that you can get. You, you, the, the, the things that truly delight us are found in Christ. They're found in God. Jesus Christ is altogether lovely. He's holy. He's beautiful. He's majestic. He is the perfect man. He is a holy God all in one person. And the God man has come down to save sinners, to raise the dead, to give sight to the blind, to give hearing to the deaf, that they they would hear the gospel and believe that they would see Jesus Christ in his majesty and they would come to him and they would be filled with his spirit. This is what it means to render yourself unto God, to give yourself to Jesus Christ, to believe on Jesus Christ, to believe that his death was a substitution for your sin, that Jesus would pay the penalty for your sin and you would believe on him and your sins would be wiped out and Jesus would give you his righteousness. That would be the standing that you would have before God. Therefore, you don't have to worry about, have I done enough to earn my way into heaven? Because my heaven has already been earned by Jesus, by his righteousness given to me. And that's the righteousness by which I'm accepted by the Father. And after we have confessed our failures and And our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we seek by God's grace to walk in God's commandments. And we seek to say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. We seek to put ourselves uh, totally at the disposal of God. Here I am, Lord. Here am I. Send me. Whatever you would have me do, wherever you would have me go. Lord, I am yours. I am not my own. This is not my life. The life I live is simply Christ living in me. I am now your bondservant. I am now your your bond slave, your willing servant, Lord. Because you are my joy and you are my master and I delight in you. I have no greater joy than this. <coughs> and so God is inviting us. To live a life that cannot be found in any other way or any other means. Only by believing in Jesus Christ and giving ourselves to him can we find who we were made to be. This is what God had created us to be from the beginning. That's what was lost to the garden. We were made in the image of God. Adam was made in the image of God. Eve was made in the image of God. And and that image was not lost. Karl Barth is wrong. The image was not lost in the fall But it was severely defaced. It was severely defaced. And Jesus Christ is coming to restore that image. The broken image of God. Can be healed and restored and renewed. And perfected. One day perfected in glory through faith in Jesus Christ. Have you come to Jesus Christ yourself yet? Have you children come to faith in Jesus Christ? Have you visitors come to Jesus Christ? Have you members? Sometimes people are members of a church for many years and they're still not a Christian. They had a misunderstanding of what it meant to be a Christian. And they've been in church and they've been sitting in the pew for years and they realize, man, you know, 
I really haven't been trusting in Jesus. I've been trusting kind of really in myself almost just for the fact that I went to church. that I attended Sunday school that I gave to the offering that I was involved in the deacon program. I, you know, that that's I thought I was on my way to heaven, but I realized maybe maybe I'm not on my way to heaven. Maybe I do need to render myself unto God uh, for the first time and really trust in Jesus Christ. And that he's my only hope in this life and for the world to come. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God.